Thank you, Diane, Marty. Forgot my clicker. Good morning, everybody. If you would take your copy of the Lord's Word, turn to First Samuel this morning. A little departure from where we've been at in First John. First Samuel, and I told Lori, I know she was going to prepare the bulletin. I didn't know if I wanted to give y'all all the verses we'll cover today because you might get scared that we'd be here for three hours. But I promise, well, I shouldn't promise that. But uh, I don't intend on us being here that long. Maybe 45. You know, as we think about the Old Testament, there are multiple people that probably come to our mind of some of these wonderful men and women used of God in the Old Testament. And one name that's always jumped out at me as an individual name in the Old Testament is um, the prophet Samuel. Samuel, uh, it's always intrigued me to, to read about him and his story and how faithful he was and how, how strong he was. Um, you know, Samuel actually filled several roles in the history of Israel. He was actually the last of the judges. He was um, a priest. He was a prophet. Additionally, he was that person that God used that, that inaugurated basically the Jewish monarchy and the fact that he was the one that, that anointed Saul and later would anoint David. So a lot to think about when we think about Samuel. Of course, the story that always comes to my mind is one of the Best sermons I've ever heard from John MacArthur, Hacking Agag to Pieces, and um, that's a very interesting sermon if you want to Google that. It's, it's a fantastic sermon. You have to know more about Samuel. It's very important that we understand his family, to understand his mother. And I think it's very appropriate to, to, to look at that this morning with it being Mother's Day. Um, I want to look at Hannah. Hannah is the mother, or was the mother of Samuel, and her godly example of motherhood and her influence in the life of her son Samuel and what would come with him. You know, also as you think about motherhood, you can't help but think about the family. You can't help but think about how culture today seeks to destroy the family. Um, and it's not doing it kind of in a quiet way. It's very active of the destruction of the family and the family model and the nuclear family, some might, might call. And first, uh, by decimating the, the only godly intimate relationship that there is, is between one man and one woman. And, and that's God's plan and purpose. That's what he has ordained uh, from, a, from a human relational standpoint is that relationship and no other. And in that, in the marriage, and in the marriage bed, there's a reason it's called the marriage bed because it is to be between the husband and the wife. And that only. It's the only human relationship really ordained by God that way and approved by God. Second, our culture really began by diminishing motherhood. Look at the attack. Look at how the attacks began. Diminishing motherhood and attacking strong fatherhood. And it's still doing that today. Very clearly, that is the purpose and plan of the culture today and all the demonic activity going on today. The governments of this world. It destroys this, it seeks to destroy this, this need, the God-given need is put within a woman to be a, an honorable wife and to love her husband and to be a to be a mother that he would cherish and adore their children and so their husband as well is pointed and directed women that they're not their worth is not measured by that their worth is only measured by how high they can climb the corporate ladder or how high they can do all these other secular things 
And I'm not against a woman doing some of these things. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that is not where the woman's worth is found, though. Nor is that where a man's worth is found, quite frankly. Yet God holds up mothers with great reverence. Great reverence, he does. Basically, the greatest gift given to woman outside of salvation is that gift of motherhood. Now, I know that not all women are called to be mothers. He has shut up the womb of some for his own purposes that we will never know this side of heaven. That doesn't make them any less of a woman. Because I've seen women that do not have children who pour into the lives of maybe nieces or nephews or cousins or or children at schools or in, in, in Sunday school classes. I've seen that. And I'm sure many of you have seen that as well. To give the gift of children and to ordain a woman as a mother, God honors faithful mothers, as should we. As should we. Now this message isn't intended to be on abortion, but considering this is Mother's Day, considering everything we've seen and heard about these potential uh, uh, disruptions of church services and stuff that we will probably hear about in the news later today, I'm sure they will go through with some of this stuff. I, I want to share a couple of sobering statistics, some staggering statistics, if you will, on the heels of the Supreme Court leak. Um, just a couple of things to put on your mind, and, and like I said, this is not the intention of the message, but with it being Mother's Day and hearing all these potential Disruptions. I wanted to at least give you some statistics so if you might understand, wrap your mind around how tragic this is and how pervasive this issue is in our world. The WHO, the World Health Organization, says this, and I googled this last night and I'm, the numbers probably climbed. It wasn't quite 15 million last night, but you can see the ticker moving as you're watching it. So I'm sure it's well over 15 million now. 15 million abortions Worldwide have already taken place in 2022. 15 million. There's approximately 50 million a year. 125,000 a day. In the United States of America, half of all pregnancies are labeled as unintended. Unintended. 3,000 abortions are performed in this country a day. 22% of all pregnancies, excluding miscarriages, end in abortion. That is a travesty and that is an evil upon this nation and on this world. What do we do about it? We pray and we vote accordingly. So now that I've shocked your sensibilities a little bit, let us look at this godly, faithful example of a mother in the life of Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathon Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. 
It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah arose after eating and drinking in shallow. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly depressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my own out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come here this morning, first and foremost, we want to honor and glorify you. We want to lift up praise and worship to you. We also want to honor our mothers today. We know that you honor mothers, that you hold them in high esteem and reverence, and that you have put a mighty high calling upon them. I ask that your people would comfort their mothers and that your mother and that these mothers would be comforted more importantly by you. And Lord God, as we look at this example of Hannah, let us never lose sight of your hand at work in all these events. Not that we want to lift up Hannah for the sake of lifting up Hannah, but, but for what you did in her life, that it might be a mighty example of the family unit of all believers here today. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When we first introduced to Hannah, uh, we see, or we saw, of course, we see the, the, the kind of the, the lineage of her husband, Elkanah, there. But the first thing that really jumps out to us um, is the fact that he had two wives. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this isn't the only place you will see that. You'll see it quite frequently in the Old Testament, or quite a bit, I shouldn't say frequently in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, but... I want us to think about how God worked in her life and how he worked in the life of Hannah and, and later Samuel. Um, but as I said in my introduction, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 does tell us that God has designed some women to be single and some to be mothers. That is part of his plan and purpose, and we don't know all the details of why. For some, he shut the womb, and it's for his own purposes. We just don't know what those are. There's a purpose in that. It's not out of spite or anger or vindictiveness. God is not fickle like that. There's a reason, and there's a plan, and there's a purpose. We just don't know why. But like I said before, I've seen many of those women minister greatly to young people, just pour their lives into them. Many of you may have had that influence in your life at some point. But thinking about motherhood, God is primarily he's called women not to, to get joy from leading or ruling or any of these things, but joy in what he has created woman for and, and, and her purpose and her plan and and, and in raising children, he has specifically given them to raise God-fearing children. 
to pour into them and, and, and not just for the physical and emotional needs, but to teach them of the Lord, to share with them of the Lord. Her responsibility is great and is extremely impactful in the lives of children. Her influence cannot be overstated. It's a divine priority from the Lord. It's a priority from the Lord. It's part of God's great design. And mothers, it's not to be sidetracked by selfish desires or overindulgence. We are all guilty of those, but we cannot let that sidetrack the calling and that responsibility. Scripture exalts motherhood. Exalts it. You see it throughout the pages of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you see this exaltation of motherhood and this great high calling. We know some other famous mothers, famous used loosely there, but some mothers that we know of in Scripture, Sarah, her desire for motherhood, Rachel, Ruth, you move to the New Testament, you think of Elizabeth, you think about Mary, you move to 1 Timothy and you see this impact that Paul even calls out to Timothy of his mother and grandmother's life and their impact on young Timothy. This is not to be pushed to the side. This is highly important for us to understand and grasp this today. The Bible gives great and special attention to Hannah as we're about to look at and her God-honoring example. So as we think about this time period and what's going on in, in Israel at that time or in, in the Hebrew land of the Hebrews at that time, barrenness in that time would have been thought of pretty poorly. It might be almost as if God had cursed them for some reason that they could not have children. And the mother, the wife would have felt that deeply. And this was also a time of turbulence within the land of the Hebrews. In general, Samson was dead. The priest we just read about, Eli, was an overindulgent high priest. He had wicked children. The Philistines were growing stronger. All the enemies around them were growing stronger. And we'll reference this verse again later, but in 1 Samuel 3, 1, Listen to the second part of this verse. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. God was not as visible. God was not sharing as much with his people in those days. They had turned greatly from him in those days. And even the high priest, as I said, was a man of not very high character, but his children were miserably poor in character and did some wicked and evil things even within the, the realm of the temple itself. Let's think back to Hannah for a moment and some of her characteristics of her faith. First of all, she had a right relationship with her husband. You might think, well, hold on a second, brother. He had two wives. What are you talking about? Well, <clears throat> this is not proper or good that he had two wives. And I think a picture of maybe possibly why he had two wives was because of the fact that Hannah was barren. You saw that sometimes in those cultures, if this wife cannot produce an heir, he may have taken on this other one. I'm not That does not justify it in God's eyes or mine, nor should it yours, but culturally, that's probably why. Now, this designation that Hannah had no children may tell us why, as I just said. Penina was almost like his wife of opportunity, that one that could provide heirs for him. This also, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but um, as we think about the proper context of this relationship, um, there are other relationships that go on today, many times by professing believers, intimate relationships, cohabitating, shacking up, as we might say here in Hickman County, 
God does not approve of those either. The marriage bed is for one man and one woman, a husband and wife. Amen. Period. If you want to get mad at me, go ahead, but you need to get mad at God because that's what he said and what he established. Amen. This is where it starts, the family. Her relationship was strong with her husband. We'll see that as we go through this story a little bit more closely. But a strong relationship between a husband and a wife, this culture hates it and wants to destroy it. And that's the only intimate relationship that God holds up in high esteem. Everything else flows out of that. The family relationship flows out of that. I know some of you are single mothers today. Some of you have been broken in bad relationships. Don't let that be an excuse to not fulfill this destiny and this calling that God has put upon your life to be God-fearing mothers and to teach your children such. God blesses that. He blesses that. But the relationship begins with the husband and the wife and culture wants to destroy that and wants to tear it to the ground. That's also a tenet of Marxism and everything else is to do that very thing. But let's continue on here thinking about this relationship and about Hannah. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. At that time that's where the, 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 the place of worship was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, was in Shiloh in those days and that's where they would go to worship. And this is another good indication here that, that he was, Elkanah, even though he had two wives, he was a worshiper of God. He made this pilgrimage yearly, and it probably means two or three times a year when it says that, but he went up yearly to worship the Lord and to bring sacrifices and offerings before the Lord. And as he did so, we read in 4 and 5, the day that came that he sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and her daughters. That was appropriate, and that was what he had to do and was supposed to do. But listen to what he said does for Hannah. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. He, this was the, the wife of his love. This was the life, wife he poured his love into and onto. And you might think, and I've heard people try to make the case that he felt sorry for her because she was barren. Look at the, the structure of the sentence. It says he loved her and God had closed her womb. He loved her first, regardless of the fact that God had closed her womb. It wasn't, this was not a love out of, of charity for her. This was a real love that he had for Hannah. So you might see pretty clearly that there would be conflict in this household, would there not? <laughs> he gave her a double portion, which would be the portion given to an honored guest. An honored guest. His love for Hannah was real. It was deep. Now, a godly wife is built up by a husband who loves her this way. Let me say that again. A godly wife is built up by a husband who lives her, loves her this way. Encourage her. Amen. Does that mean there's not conflict? Of course not. We are sinful, fallen individuals. There will be conflict. That does not change the love that a husband is to have for his wife. It's important and it's imperative that relationship is right. So strong that the Bible often talks about how when you're a young person or as you're raising children, the first thing they are to look for is not how good looking somebody is, not how successful they are. Do they love the Lord? Amen. The Bible's clear on this. To not be to be not unequally yoked. Ephesians 5.25, it's not on the board, tells us this. Husbands, love your wives. To what to what end? To what extent? 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can you love your wife perfectly? No. You are to strive to love her perfectly, though. Amen. And you will be striving to do that all the days of your life. Amen. Everybody's laughing, yet they, your wives don't make it easy for you to love them that way? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Yes, you did. <laughs> 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 it made me in some weird places today. Six and seven, her rival, however. So you see, this relationship wasn't just a lot, you know, kind of finding some way to just avoid them. This is her rival. They were rivals. Her rival would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. He tells us exactly what Panina would go after, and it would be what anybody today would go after as well, right? Panina knew what hurt her the most, what made her feel the most inadequate, and that's where she went. And on times of offer, she did even more. But but can you not see here that there's a little bit of Panina probably had an extreme jealousy for the love that she saw between her husband and this wife. They were rivals, as it says. It wasn't ideal for either woman. Panina constantly held it over her, this barrenness. But perhaps... Because it says in verse 7, year after year, as often as they went to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. He wept and would not eat. I'm sure she did it all the time, but he makes a point here that when they went up to worship, she would really go after her. I would assume Panana may not have been as God-fearing a woman based on her characteristics we're reading here as Hannah was either. So that probably bothered her. As we see in the world today, people you're around today, they will go after you even more if they see that you are trying to be devout and faithful and follow the Lord. They'll attack you with no just, for no just cause. Yet her, yet I feel and sense that God is, is refining her a bit here. He's preparing her a bit here. He, he's putting her through this furnace a bit here to prepare her for what was to come. Yet her and her husband had a true love and they worshiped together. Her hurt and her barrenness was rubbed constantly by Penina. Often this happened. Probably quite more than what we see here in the words of Scripture. So Elkanah said to her husband, Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? He knew exactly what it was that caused her so much hurt. He understood. And he says, Hannah, do not love you. Do not give so much to you. So, so husbands, we can have sympathy, but we can't always have empathy with our wives and the things that are bothering them. But we ought to have sympathy. If you love her, you will put your arm around her and you will comfort her and you will console her. Even though you might not understand the details completely and totally, you can't feel it. That's the difference in sympathy and empathy here. But you need to be there and love her. Elkanah shows his great love for her here. He understood why she was upset. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Now, it talks about him sitting around that door, that post, and you'll see it a little bit later in Scripture as well. And I've read that he was quite a large man. Later on, he actually falls off that post and breaks his neck. Um, but that's where he was sitting at. It appears to be his place to kind of hang out at. And, and she comes up, and it's, what does this show us about Hannah here? That she goes up, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She knew where to go to with what hurt her. 
She knew where to go to with what troubled her. She went to the Lord. That's where we must go. She had a right relationship with her husband. She had a right relationship to God. We see her relationship. From verse 9 through verse 20, we, we see that relationship unfold. She had a problem. She was broken. She went to the Lord. It's as simple as that. Amen. Now look at what she says here. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So that's she's speaking about a Nazarite vow there. But do you see something else interesting there? She wanted a son so much, and yet she wanted him. And what she said she would do with him? Give him back to the Lord. She understood that all things come from God. So she wasn't looking for a son for selfish reasons. There are many parents today that look for children for selfish reasons. To build their confidence up. To give them something they feel like they don't have. She wanted it because it was honoring to God that she might be a mother. She understood it was a great high calling too. So much so that she was willing to give him back to the Lord. Now, I don't encourage us to make a lot of vows in our prayers because we will break them nine times out of ten or 99 times out of 100 or 99.9 times out of 100. But she did here. This is not an example I would say is the example to follow generally. But she fulfilled this vow. The Lord fulfilled it and she went through with it as well. She wanted this gift. She wanted this honor of motherhood. Yet she didn't want it for her own. I mean, she did have some desires there. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, to, to, to give praise back to God for what he had done as well. Amen. She understood the joy of motherhood and that God alone opens the womb. Psalm 113.9. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Psalm 127. Verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The next verse is not on here. Next two verses. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Psalm 128.3 Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. She knew where to go to. She knew who would hear her plea. Let's consider Eli again for a moment here. This guy doesn't seem to be too um, good at seeing what's going on around him, for lack of a better way to put that. came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. He didn't recognize the, the, the difference between a broken lady who was praying and crying out to the Lord and a drunk lady. And instead of going over and consoling her, trying to find out what's going on, he kind of passes judgment on her from a distance, the high priest. Not a very observant guy. Not a very caring guy from that context. But as we go on, we'll see a little bit of that characteristic come out, though. And what's he do? He calls her out. How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah's response, she's not drunk. No, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. She was broken and contrite in spirit and crying out. She said, 
Well, don't judge me that way. That's not who I am. This is a brokenness you're seeing. That might also tell us something about the situation in Israel at the time that maybe people weren't that broken where he didn't even recognize the fact that this lady was broken. I've already said much to you about how corrupt the nation was at that time. There were not enough people doing that in that time. There's not enough people doing that in our time. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What does this tell us about her here? The, the, The words of Eli had probably comforted her some, but basically she had peace in her heart that regardless of what God did, she had poured out her heart and and truly poured it out not from a place of selfishness but but truly what was on her heart and had laid it before the lord and 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 understood okay he may grant this and he may not but the lord of hosts is righteous and just and she had a patient faith i do think she thought that god would do this for her but she had a patient faith it may not be tomorrow he did it pretty quickly and it may not be next year, but but she felt there was a confidence in her prayer. And she knew, more than anything, she knew that God was the one who could grant this. And that she would cherish motherhood. And that, it, that, that motherhood is a gift of God. Brings me to a verse that I know we just we referenced abortion in the start, but this is a but um well, this isn't the verse. There's a verse coming in a minute, though. Yes, this is the verse. Psalm 139, 13, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. God brings life. It's from God. Make no mistake about it. Not a clump of cells. It's not something that just happened. God brings life. Let's go on a little bit more with this story. Um, Verse 19 so they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with his wife. Some of your translations may say knew her. And the Lord remembered her. They got home from this pilgrimage, from this, this, this time of offering. She gets home. They have intimate relationship. Knew her, had relations. And the Lord remembered. Not that he had forgotten her, but he remembered this prayer. He had remembered her crying out. And he opened her womb. And he knit that child together in her womb, just like we just read in Psalm 139, 13. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Now, do you know what the name Samuel means? The name Samuel literally means heard of God. That God had heard her prayer. God had given to her the her this heart's desire of hers. And we're going to go to this second part quite quickly because I want to get to something before we close. Then the man of Canaan went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. This is the child that she had poured her her heart out for. That she had so desired to have. And she wanted to dedicate him to the Lord. 
But she was going to spend two or three years with this child constantly, 24 hours a day. The child will be weaned at two or three years old. She said, I will not go there until then. Now, you might think, well, she should have been. You just said it's a good thing to go worship with her husband, right? Yeah, it is. It is. But she was going to worship God in the sacrifice and the raising up of that child in that moment and weaning him and spending all that time with him. As we're going to read in a moment, you can count on the fact that she was sharing with that child what God had done and who God was constantly. Constantly she was pouring into him. Constantly she was sharing what he had done. She was going to honor that vow, but she was going to do so when the child was weaned and she would dedicate him to the Lord. How does her husband Elkanah respond to this? What does he say? Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. You see also the love of the husband here. If this is what you feel you need to do, you do it. He's not trying to turn around or change her or even say, don't give this child back to the Lord. He finally gave you something that we've been wanting. We will do what you see fit according to your worship and your prayer. He would honor her work. So we see a right home relationship here as well between those two. Like I said before, you might think she should go worship with him. She was showing great honor to God and worshiping him and honoring him by raising this gift to give back to the Lord. She was to give this gift back to the Lord. He had given her this gift and she was going to take this gift and give him back to the Lord. Makes me think of what we read about in scripture when we receive our crowns and our gifts and what will we do with them? The believer will lay them back down at the, at the father's feet. She was totally committed to her role is another way to think about what she's doing in those two to three years. She was totally committed to her role and knowing that God had called her to that high calling to be a mother to Samuel. And she was not going to be slack on that calling. All the while in this weaning process, being faithful to God, telling him about God, but also fulfilling the emotional and the physical responsibilities of that child. She was a mother to this young baby, to this toddler as he reached two and three years old. Today, mothers are told if they aren't out there striving to get everything they can in this world, they're not fulfilling what they should be doing as a woman. Again, I'm not against a woman in the workforce or doing these kind of things, but that is not the primary purpose of a woman. It's to be a husband, I'd be a husband, be a wife, be a mother if God so blesses. This is not God's way or God's calling. God's calling is clear in Scripture. Neither is a man's purpose to do those things. A man is to be a husband and a father. First and foremost. Now you have to go work. Your family can't go without food and you have to keep the bills paid and those kind of things. I'm not saying any of that. But first and foremost, the responsibilities God has ordained in fatherhood, in manhood, which is a different topic for a different day, which is totally being destroyed by the culture as well, is those high callings, husband, father. In Proverbs 
not on PowerPoint. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. That's language that the culture today doesn't want to hear either, isn't it? It literally says, don't let them have their own way. Literally. Scripture literally. I don't have to pull words from here to here and put them together. That's literally what that verse says. Love, reprove, discipline your children. That's not just the job for the dad. And it's not just the job for the mom. Amen. Better do so together. Amen. 24-25. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Like I said, two or three years old. And they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli, the high priest. She says to him, Eli, the high priest, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So this was only three years or so before Eli would have probably remembered this lady in this confrontation that was had. And she says, I am that lady. The Lord has blessed me and given me this child. And now I'm giving him back to the Lord. Not giving to Eli, giving him to the Lord in service to the Lord. Make no mistake about that. Now I want to read to you Hannah's response. And we're going to touch on some other things about the impact of his mother on the life of Samuel. But look at. Let me read with you. This isn't up there, but I'm just continuing in chapter 2. So if you're already there, you can follow along with me. I want you to read this this prayer. And this kind of makes me think about yesterday morning, our men's breakfast. We talked about the holiness of God and how we can't really comprehend that. We, we, we can know God truly, but not completely because of he is holy. And he, is, he is so different. But listen to this. May we all be able to pray like this. This is Hannah after giving her child to this position. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered and the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contemn the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Guys, you won't find a much more God-honoring, sovereignty-focused prayer in the Bible than that prayer you just heard from Hannah. 
and her understanding that God gives and God takes away. And it says right, and he does it all with a just, righteous hand. Praised him after this. Just giving her son back. This son of promise, the one that she had cried for night after night after night. She said, but he is yours, Lord. You've given him to me and blessed me mightily, but he's yours. Now let's go on a little bit. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. This is Samuel. This is the little boy she just gave back. Look down to verse 19. She did not just leave him there and stop being a mother. She was always going to be his mother. Look at this in verse 19. And his mother, Hannah, would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Do you see that tenderness in that verse? That every year when she came back, she was still she was doing things for him and bringing them to him. She was still his mother. She still loved him mightily. And she was doing these things from every year. You know she was probably just waiting with bated breath every single year to go back to Shiloh for two reasons. First, to honor and worship and give sacrifice to her God and to see her baby boy. That is a touching, tender verse that's kind of thrown in the middle of all this. What else would the Lord do for Hannah? Verse 20 and 21. Or verse 20, I'm sorry. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. The Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. He continued to open her womb. He continued to bless her and give her these wonderful gifts in her motherhood and her faithfulness to him. He blessed her exceedingly, wouldn't you say? With six children? Look down at verse 26. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Make no mistake, God was doing this mighty work, but make no mistake, the influence of his godly mother was extremely impactful in his life. Samuel was blessed to the Lord. He honored his mother. And in no small part, thanks to her faithfulness as well. Look at this verse 3, 1 again. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. He was like a voice crying in the wilderness, it seems to me. He, he, he was this voice that God was using, that God was blessing and, and, and building up for what was to come. And it says he... Not that he stood alone, but he was pretty close to standing alone in so much of this. A little further down in 1 Samuel 3, verse 19 and 20, 19 through 21. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. God was working mightily through this man. Mightily through him. But also, God worked mightily through the influence of this godly mother in his life. And what she instilled in him at an early age. How she poured herself out for him. Think about this. From three years old, I mean... 
He was born in the children of promise that would be given back to the Lord. And for three years, his mother weaned him. But from the time of around three years old, when he was brought to the temple, the entirety of his life was in service to a holy God. His whole life was in service to a holy God. Now, that does not mean he was perfect. If you read through First and Second Samuel, you'll see that he was not a perfect man. As no man we read in Scripture, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, was perfect. Amen. As we bring this to a close, godly mothers are an honor and bring glory to God. Amen. If you're a mother here today, Maybe your children are, are older, they're grown. You continue to pour your life into them. And hopefully grandchildren at some point. But I want you to look around the congregation at other young ladies. I want you to pour your life into them as well. The Bible clearly tells us you're to do that as well. The older women are to teach the younger women. They're to invest in the younger women and in their children. And to help their children. You're to teach your children to honor God with all their life. You're single, you're to seek a godly spouse. You're to teach young children to seek godly spouses. First and foremost, you are not to be neglectful of this responsibility or this calling that God has placed upon you as a woman. But God honors it greatly. He honors it greatly. Men, Are you creating an environment in your homes where your wife can thrive? Are you? Are you loving her? Are you worshiping with her? Don't get me wrong. I didn't say worship her. Are you worshiping with her? You're not to put her ahead of God. Nor are you to put your children ahead of God. Or your grandchildren or anything that's idol making. But are you worshiping with her? Are you encouraging her? In this high and hard calling. It's not easy. I don't think there's a mother in this room that will tell me it's easy being a mother. And your children will break your heart like nothing else. I know they've broken my hearts. My heart. It will hurt deeply. But keep the hands of the plow, woman. Keep the hands of the plow, mother. Man, are you helping them to raise these children? Are you helping them to raise these children? And all the while, I'm going to go back to this again. Are you loving them? Are you showing your children what a family relationship is supposed to look like? Are you nurturing her, praying with her and for her? Are you raising sons to be that kind of husband? Are you raising daughters to look for that kind of husband? Praise God for our mothers. Praise God for the mothers of our children. May we as men create an environment where they can thrive. We don't need to make it any harder on them. And may mothers not be neglectful in this important calling. And may you not be discouraged when that child that you've raised in the Lord, in the admonition of the Lord, and they take that step that breaks your heart. Do as Hannah did and go to the Lord. Amen. It's easy to beat ourselves up. And maybe we did fail. Well, let me back it up. We did fail at points. Every one of us have. Don't hold that against 
each other in the marriage and go to the Lord. And let us go to him now. Father, God, we love you. Lord, we're grateful for the mothers in our lives, grateful for the mothers of our children. We're grateful for the wife that loves the Lord first and loves her husband and respects and honors him. God, where we may stumble, where we may fall, may we lean upon your ever-loving arms that you would lift us up, you would help us. God, where our children fail, where they stumble, and we will look inwardly at what we might have done differently. Let us remember this prayer of Hannah, this prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the first 10 verses, where she just pours out her heart and praise and glory and honor for you and your sovereignty. And let us trust that you are good and gracious and you are also just and righteous. Lord, give us grace where we fail you. God, give us comfort in this high holy calling that you've placed upon the lives of these women in our lives. That they might honor and cherish you and that the men might come alongside and help them in this. Create an environment that they may thrive in. Lord God, we know all this brings joy to you and we know the high holy calling you have for women and how you revere motherhood. Lord God, the church is, is, is shown as an example of, of this relationship between one husband and one wife. And oftentimes we read that believers are blessed to be called children of God, Lord. So this, this family relationship, this mother and father relationship, permeate scripture and points to salvation Lord, let us never lose sight of that for those that are broken here today they might come to your throne and it's never too late Lord, let us rest in that in Christ's name I pray amen everybody would stand